John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, is not where we'll be this morning, but the text is what will be displayed for us this morning. The great teacher, and our God is a great teacher, takes the time to explain what he means. He shows us. Can you show me what you mean by that? And John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, is shown to us in the text that, that Pastor Stephen read for us this morning. John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, if you remember, uh, says, Whoever believes in the Son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in the Son is condemned already, for they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, verse 19 says. What's the judgment? For the light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were wicked. It's as though we ask the Lord in John chapter 3, what do you mean by that? What does it mean to be condemned? Can you give us an example? In our text today, in John chapter 8, he shows us with real people. He shows us that play out people stuck in darkness who do not receive the light. He also answers for us in four different ways. What's it mean to believe in the Son? He shows us these four components of the Son that to us as the beloved, those who know Christ, this is a celebration, a point of rejoicing for us. And to those who are still in darkness, there is, by God's grace, a jarring that we pray takes place that they might become illuminated. They might look to the light and have life for eternity. So let's begin this morning as we look in John chapter 8 at the honest news and the bad news. You see, if light came into a world of light, that's not much of a headline. That's not much of a story. But in a room of darkness, in a world of darkness, for light to come in, it changes everything. It changes how everything takes place and everything is seen. And you and I as believers in Christ, our lives reflect the beautiful changing power of the light. So God, we pray that you would build us up this morning. You would encourage us. And, and if anyone is in the darkness that would hear these words, God, would you bring them to the light? Would you show them this first part that all are bound to the world in a love of sin ensnared in darkness all are bound to the world in a love of sin ensnared in darkness this isn't what we want to believe but it is what is true the light has illuminated this for us you see biblical christianity is not a regional faith it's a global truth a global hope jesus isn't a regional savior for one little people group. He is the Savior of all the world. The light has come not simply to one spot, but the light has come for the world. And if we were to take the circumstances and put it in the most prime of situations, just as in the garden in Genesis 2 and chapter 3, we see the most prime of situations, Adam and Eve in the beautiful garden, walking with the Lord, and yet they fell in sin. They believed the serpent. 
and sin and death came into the world, but so too came the promise. If we look at our scene today and we were to take a post-fallen world situation and say, what would be the most likely place that the people would receive the light? We would place them in the temple. And we'd put the best and the brightest of scholars. And we'd put it right after the festival of the tabernacles or the booths in which they're celebrating God's presence with them through the wilderness. And then we'd send the Messiah and surely they would see the light and receive Him but they do not. It's exemplified for all the people of all the earth that all are bound to the world in a love of sin, ensnared in darkness. Right on cue, Jesus gives these words, and the Pharisees, like a bouncy ball, reflect right back at to him when he tells them that all who believe in him, uh, they have the light of life. And Jesus says, or, or they say to Jesus, Jesus, your testimony It's not true. They look the light in the face. You're not supposed to look at the sun. They look at the sun in the flesh, in the eyes, and that's not true. They're bound in darkness and a love of sin. They love the darkness rather than the light. And each of us, on our own, Even the sweetest and most gentle among us on our own are bound in darkness. But Jesus, but Jesus, the light has come into the darkness. But Jesus is our hope. So on a day in which we observe the Lord's Supper, and a a day in which likewise we gather as only a segment of our congregation. And we're reminded, perhaps right now in this moment, perhaps more vigorously than ever, the reality of sin and sickness upon the world. And the very first component of being bound in darkness, there is a sadness and a reality that we see even in this room right now. We celebrate gathering together, but we do so with a sense of mourning. But Jesus. But we also do so with a sense of assured hope in joy, in peace, in steadfastness, because Jesus is the light of the world, and all who abide in him have the light of life for eternity. So we see these four components, the honest bad news that all are bound in darkness, but the good news is that the light has come. Jesus changes everyone's story, the beauty of the love of God. It changes our life, it changes our story from one bound in darkness. It looks different in the way that our pride covers up our sin but each of us in Christ are changed because of Jesus so the first part in John chapter 3 verse 18 whoever believes in the son is not condemned what do we believe as those who believe in the son we believe that it is the he is the light of the world and all who abide in him have the light of life for eternity Jesus himself is the life-giving light. So if we're keeping score of what we've seen so far, in John chapter 4, as has been preached for us, Jesus reveals himself as the life-giving water. The life-giving water. And we looked at all those Old Testament references about that. And then we got to John chapter 6, and Jesus is the life-giving bread from heaven. He's the sustaining bread from the Father. 
He's the bread that the Lord gives us. He is the life-giving, eternal bread. So come and eat of Him. Partake of Him and have life forever. And now in John chapter 8, we see that Jesus is the life-giving light. A scholar tells us, Beasley Murray, uh, uh, one of them, if you see uh, behind me, there's a picture of the temple. And in this area where we're told in verse 20 it's taking place in the the, the women's courtyard, and and in that, right beside that, is a a part up there where the money was taken. And what we're told at, this is happening right on the tail end of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, and as a reminder, that's when God's people would gather together again to remember God providing for them in the 40 years of wandering. And they would make these little booths and tabernacles. Remember we talked about that. And they had this big climactic scene in which they took them down and in that court of women area, they would set up four large candles that would be lit. And the flame of those candles represented the Lord leading them at night by a pillar of fire. So it's on this vivid picture with light in one's mind that Jesus says, I am the light. I am the light from God. What a declaration of who he is. That's what light does. It changes our view of everything. One of the sweetest parts I've had of being a dad is is things I've become so common to. I'm, I'm, I'm not amazed by a lot of things. But my boys are amazed by everything. So one of those things, we were in uh, Uriah's room at night, getting ready for bedtime. And it was, I turned the lights off, it was pitch black, and I opened up my phone and I turned on the, the flashlight, which is almost as bright as the sun. And I, I pointed around, and after they stopped looking directly at the light, which I'm sure was not great for their eyes, they turned around and looked at the wall and they became aware of shadows for the first time in their life. And their minds exploded. They started going crazy. We're talking 20, 30 minutes of just moving around. They would get close to the wall and see their shadow get small. They would get close to the, the light and it would get huge. And they saw their outline. Light changed everything. It gave them a more clear picture of who they actually were. And then when they got bored, they turned and they went after the light, right? They tried to get the light out of my hand. They came for the light. And that's a little bit of a picture that we see with the light who is Jesus. He changes everything. His beauty illuminates and helps us to understand who we actually are in a greater way. And then when we turn and we look at the light, we're captivated by Him. We abide by Him. He lights our way. He lights our path. And in Him we have life. That's the good news that we have in Christ, believer. Jesus is the light of the world, and all who abide in him have the light of life for eternity. It leads us secondly to understand that Jesus, yes, all were, are bound to the world in sin, but Jesus was lovingly sent from the Father above. In this text, again, it comes out that those who are of the world, even the best and the brightest and the greatest of bloodlines, are still bound to the world, apart from the grace and working of our Lord. And Jesus shows his credentials. Our culture now, perhaps more than ever, is skeptical of everything. Skeptical of news, skeptical of any information. It doesn't matter the credentials that someone has. There is a skepticism. Some a healthy skepticism and some just a skepticism of even skepticism. 
Jesus affirms who he is. He reminds them that who he said he is has not evolved. It's an unchanging position, and even more so, the Father declares who he is as well. We see this in this text on multiple occasions. If you look in verse 14, Jesus tells them, I know where I came from. And verse 16, it's the Father who sent me. He knows he's sent from the Father. In verse 26, he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. He declared that in this scene with all the Jews who have gathered from the dispersion of the nations for this tabernacle, they represent the world, and also to all, literally, the nations, the world. This is a message of global hope. It's global hope. It's light for all the world, all the peoples of the earth. This is good news. And perhaps part of us or part of our culture would look and say, that sounds good for you, but not good for me. Because my ancestors believed this. Or I grew up believing this. So if you believe that Jesus is the light and the good news, that's good for you, that's fine. But that's not my way. And Jesus, unashamedly, is the light sent from the Father for all peoples of all the earth. That will do one of two things for us, or perhaps both at the same time. At first, it will make us uncomfortable and say, wait, you're saying for, for all the world? And our mind begins to populate, what about person A? What about person B? But if we truly turn around and look at the light, what we see is, Oh, and you commissioned me, Light, to go into all the world. Not to be a Monday morning quarterback and criticize. The one hope, the cure, the life, the light of God sent from the Father. He's worthy of our praise and He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of paying our sin debt. The one sent from the Father. That's what we believe, beloved. That's good news for all the world. Yes, all are bound to the world, but Jesus is the light of the world. He was lovingly sent from the Father, and He perfectly did the will of the Father. Verse 18 and verses 28 through 29. It's drilled again that Jesus uniquely, perfectly did the will of the Father. He spoke everything that the Father gave Him. Everything that the Father taught Him, Jesus did. He said, and everything the Father set out for him to do, he did. Everything, perfectly. His attitude honored God at all time. And let's be honest, perhaps if you're like me, with this social distancing time when you've been in the home, even with people that you love, more than usual, it can get hard to keep your attitude appropriately honoring the Lord, right? Actually, it looks like it's just me. This isn't good news. Of course. But our hope is not in us. Who is our hope in? It's in Jesus. And the goodness of those of us who have abided in Christ, who, who are the beloved of the Lord, is the Lord sees us as righteous and holy. It's Jesus' perfectly honoring of God in word and thought and deed that you and I are clothed in. 
So you and I are beautiful and forgiven and washed clean and acceptable before God. And we have relationship with God. And so we can joyfully, without burden, go and and do the works the Lord has set out for us before the foundations of the earth. This is the good news. Because Jesus perfectly did the will of the Father. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody has asked you for a character letter? Or maybe it's as simple as somebody came up to you and wanted to get a perspective of somebody else and said, hey, tell me about so-and-so. How sweet is it to be able to give an honest reference that measures up to what the person hopes that you can give them? But how awkward is it when you have to say, "Mm, uh, I don't know if I can do what you want me to do. Jesus is qualified. Jesus is qualified. It says in verse 18, he, Jesus, he bears witness about himself, and the Father himself who sent him bears witness about Jesus. There is no hesitation in the sending or the qualifications of Jesus. And he leads them to this scene. And I want you to go over to, if you're in the Pewback Bible, that's page 911. Go to Acts chapter 3. And we'll pick it up in verse 11. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. And as you flip there, I'll read verse 28 so it's fresh in mind as Jesus reminds them who he is. And reminds, reminds them actually of what they will do to him. And they think he's crazy. And he tells them in verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Jesus foreshadowing His own crucifixion, prophesying of His own crucifixion that will take place, His being lifted up on the cross. And they're like, what's He talking about? Well, we know the rest of this story. We know that Jesus does go to the cross. That the will of the Father that He keeps perfectly will lead to carrying His cross and being crucified on his cross, and paying our debt, and earning for us forgiveness and salvation. He'll defeat death, he'll be buried, he'll raise from the dead, and he'll ascend to heaven. And he is at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again one day soon. Come, Lord Jesus. And it's in he our hope and faith rest. Well, after Jesus at this point in Acts chapter 3 has been crucified, resurrected, and now ascended bodily, Peter and John, filled with the Spirit, the Spirit has been sent, and He indwells believers. And Peter and John heal this man, and the man clings to them. Wouldn't you? And he clings to them, and a crowd forms. Listen to what Peter says to a crowd who is demanding that Jesus be crucified earlier on. Listen to what he tells them. John chapter 3, verse, we'll pick it up, actually we'll drop down in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people as they were gathering Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Barabbas. 15. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name by faith and his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. You acted in darkness. As did also your rulers. But look at verse 18 and 19. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So what news does he give to these people who demanded a murderer instead of the author of life? He tells them, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. He doesn't cast a stone. He gives them the good news that their sins will be blotted out if they'll but believe upon Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, even the ones who were there at His crucifixion. That is good news. And he goes on and he quotes Deuteronomy 18, a text we've seen quoted in John numerous times already. Look what he says. Look down at verse 22. And Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. The people in their minds again. Many of the crowd, as we saw last week, are thinking, this is, seems to be the prophet, the second Moses. The one like Moses that we should listen to. And in Acts chapter 3, he makes it even more abundantly clear that Jesus is that prophet. But he's also the Son of God, the Son of Man, made flesh, fully God and fully man. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God, the light who's come into the darkness. That all who believe in him have life. Their sins are blotted out. Bound, but Jesus. In verse 14, at the end of verse 14, we see our fourth component. What do you and I believe, church family? What do we believe? that Jesus arose and bodily returned to the Father above. Verse 14, Jesus says, For I know where I came from and where I am going. He knew that He was going to the cross, and after the cross, He would return to the Father, inevitably after His ascension. But He tells them, you do not know where I come from or where I am going. As believers, we read verse 14 and we are stirred to joy because we know where He was going. We know where He now is. And where He is, we will be. And it leads Paul to be able to pray and to say with confidence 
To be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. We know where we will go after the grave. That's good news. Those that are bound in darkness listen to this just as the, the best and the wisest did, and they didn't know what he was talking about. Is he going like, to kill himself? What's, what's he talking about? But in Christ, the beloved, the light has shown us where the Son would go. And as believers in Christ, we're hidden in Christ, and Christ in God, and we will be with Him forever. For eternity, we will be with Him. The bodily resurrection of Christ, it matters. As believers, we celebrate the ordinance that the Lord gives us. And three more times in the Gospel of John, in John 13 and John 16 and John 17, the bodily resurrection of Christ will be stressed again and again and again. Then the ordinances, the, uh, the ordinance of baptism that we celebrate, what are you proclaiming in your baptism, believer? You're proclaiming that you've been united to Christ in His life and in His death and in His resurrection. That He has forgiven you. And that just as He has bodily arisen from the grave, so too are you to walk in likeness with Christ, the newness of life. But just as His body died and was raised again bodily, when death one day strikes us, we bodily will receive a new glorified physical resurrected body in time. That's our future. That's your future, believer, in Christ. As we observe the Lord's Supper, as we're going to do here in just one minute, what does the Lord's Supper remind us of? It reminds us this gift that God gives to the church body. As they gather, we partake of the ordinance that we remember the broken body and spilt blood of Jesus Christ. And before you try to open this, I'll give you an orientation. As this leads us into our next step, which has a component. The immediate next step is the Lord's Supper we're going to observe. But something I would ask you to do this week is to take time, schedule at least 15 minutes, to just start writing down some stories of beauty that you've been impacted by because the light of God has illuminated your life. What sin and hurt has God healed you from, is healing you from? What has God protected you from? What has God empowered you to do in, in ways to minister to others? What beautiful stories have you heard of God working, the Spirit working in other believers' lives? Take time to write them down and give God glory. And this ordinance that we partake together is one of those ordinances of beauty. Now this, on the very top of this, is a little film. So there's two here. And I'd like you to go ahead and tear off that little film as a believer in good standing with the body. And this is going to be the best meal that you and I have eaten for several months. Now to the eye, this is a gluten piece of cardboardish bread, okay? But the sweetness of this that represents the broken body of our Savior for our sins. That the Father in love for us would send the Son. 
the Son in full obedience, born of the Spirit, the Spirit abiding on Him without measure, living the sinless life that we do not live, that we've been, we, we've been united to Christ. This is good news for us. Paul, as he gathers the church in Corinth, he reminds them and he tells them exactly what this represents. And one of the difficult times in this season, as you take a moment to look around, and you can think of the faces that are not physically able to gather with us. Just as you would as you gather at a family meal and you look around and there's people that are no longer able to gather. We are physically limited. But we will be physically made whole because of Christ. And as the body gathers together, there's a time of reflection. Making sure relationships are bound together the way they ought to be, forgiveness given, forgiveness sought, and unity in Christ. We have been forgiven and adopted. This is the gift that God gives us. So as the bread is broken, Paul tells the church exactly that. That on the night of his betrayal, he would take bread and he would disperse it and he would tell his disciples, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. What a beauty to have siblings in Christ. What a beauty to have older sisters in the faith, older brothers in the faith, parents in the faith, children in the faith. What a gift that God gives us to be invited to his table. It is, as we open up the cup, the scripture says without the Shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus uniquely qualified and perfectly executed the mission that God had sent him on. That it's in his blood, this is the new covenant in his blood. We proclaim his death until he comes. Until he comes. We're invited as recipients to the table that the Lord has brought us to and adopted us into. So, as the church body, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me as we give thanks? Lord, we thank you for the gift of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we pray to you, Jesus. We thank you that you, ris you rose from the dead that you are at the right hand of the Father, that you hear us, that the Spirit, he intercedes for us with groans when we cannot articulate. This is a sweet and wonderful meal that we partake of, and it makes us look even more so forward to the day of Christ's return. 
We thank you that you have adopted us into your family, invited us to your table, that we are partakers of Jesus Christ. We have come and believed upon him. Lord, we are unashamed to proclaim him through the observance of this ordinance, and we're unashamed to reclaim him with our life and our lips this week. Would you show us the good works you have for us to do? We thank you for the beauty of the love of God, for your love. We do love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen.